0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Team Podcast. We're recording this uh, just moments after Mark Selby's latest World Championship victory. We are here a year ago, myself, uh, Dave Hendon and Michael McMillan. We talked about Selby's victory number two, and we're now going to spend a bit of time looking back at victory number three. We might as well just start at the end and talk about the mm. final we've just seen. Um... At the interval, 16 12, it looked like it was petering out. But in the end, he had to step up and win it, didn't he?
0: Yeah, do you know, it reminded me actually of the final between them 10 years ago. It was sort of a role reversal, because 10 years ago, Higgins was the top dog. Mm. Selby was much more of an outsider, obviously, than John was in this final. Very close. John got two chances in the last two frames, made two breaks to finish it off, which is pretty much what happened mm. in reverse tonight. And I mean, that I think has been the key for Mark Selby this year that when the big moments have come in matches, he really has delivered he did it in the uh, last three frames of sunday night he did it right at the end of the afternoon session today when he had a chance to really take control of the match and he did it tonight again when uh, higgins was threatening to, to to take us all the way to the wire and i mean you know john was saying there at the end how he, you know he's just the toughest player he's mm. ever played against he just seems to find so much resilience and something extra just when it's most needed and that's why He's won it three
1: times in four years now. Yeah, and, and a classic case of Selby responding to something going wrong. I mean, for a start, 1612, Higgins plays two great frames, 1614. Mm. It's John Higgins as well, it's not anyone coming back, it's one of the all time guys mm. coming back. And then the, the incident in the next frame, frame 31, where he's, Selby's rolled up to the black and Amber has the referee, initially said uh, that he hadn't reached. Selby said he had. The, the BBC Studio got involved, Jan changed his mind, he changed it back. That could have unsettled. I think that would have unsettled virtually anyone else. But oh, yeah. Selby just seemed to clear his mind. He came out next frame one three one. Thank you very much. Seventeen fifteen. Some players wouldn't have won
0: another frame mm. after that. Yeah, I think it was one of those. It was such a difficult call, and you know there have been so many replays shown, and mm. nobody's sure yet. Yeah. I don't think anyone felt sure even mm. at the time. But uh, I think the general feeling seems to be leaning towards that it was the right call, and mm. thankfully it didn't make any difference sure. to, to the result in the end anyway. Um, so yeah, un- unusual. You, you get so few controversies on the
1: table mm. in snooker, it's unusual to get one so near the end of a world final OK, well let's let's go right back to the beginning I mean, of course, the World Championship starts with the qualifying And mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just go straight to the end of the qualifying Which is, of course, Fergal O'Brien, setting this, with Dave Gilbert setting this new record for longest ever frame Two hours, three minutes, 41 seconds I'm glad to say I didn't actually see it, but um, I did. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was, well, well, talk us through it then, because I mean, I think I'm right saying for basically for about an hour there was one or two balls spotted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the yellow. I,
0: I I don't know the actual figures, but I would say they were on the yellow for about half an hour. Hmm. And I mean, it wasn't dull and boring. I mean, Fergal was taking a really really long time. But look, you and I both know Fergal a long time. We know this means more to him oh. than it does to anybody. Yeah. He's not qualified for seven years. He's had, a th- a, I think, three 10-9 defeats in the final qualifying mm-hmm. round. One on the pink, one on the black, one in on a respotted black. And at 45 years of age, he knows if he loses this final frame, that might be it. He might never get back to the Crucible, the place where he has great memories mm-hmm. and has been a quarter finalist in the past. And I thought it made great viewing. And maybe, perhaps, you know, I had a different perspective because I have known Fergal a long time. He's a fellow Irishman, of course. And, you know, ju- just on that point, as I say, he's 45. He might not qualify again. Ken might not qualify again. We might not see another Republic of Ireland player at the Crucible for a very long time. But it was a great story, and I can tell you, you know, back home in Ireland, it got a huge amount of attention. Fergal was live on national radio the next morning on RTE. So it, it was a great story, and it just summed up what Fergal is all about. He just gives it all. He's given it all for a quarter of a century, and if this was his last time...
1: You know, in a big setting like this at the Crucible, then uh, we'll certainly remember it because of the way you got here. Yeah, I thought there was a bit of an overreaction to it. You know, if every frame was two hours long, you know, we'd be in trouble. Of course, we would. But it's not. It's, yeah. It was a freak thing, and it, like I say, it meant everything. And it, was it wasn't boring by any means. No, no, not for no. snooker people, anyway. No, no, no. Okay. The night I don't know whether you saw the, the 14th yeah, celebration did, yeah. the night before, I mean I was talking actually to Nigel Oldfield who basically planned it, he's from World Snoop and was sort of very much involved in planning it and he said you know it's actually quite easy to get that wrong um, mm. and to upset people, I thought it was fantastic, I really enjoyed it, I thought they got the tone right, it was great to see all the, all the past champions, I think only Mark Williams uh, of the mm. living champions wasn't there. And, you know, it was a good celebration. It was. I think it was good as well to have the current players in. Most of the players yeah. in the tournament were in there. And it just, you know, as John Parris said, you know, all the memories that you have of the Crucible and the World Championship, they all happened in that room, the room mm. we were just in a moment mm. ago watching the final. And it was also, I think, nice to do it before the tournament and then allow the tournament to get underway in its own right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't add much to that. But ju- just to say, you know, I suppose what I was thinking was, if you, had it, if you were a casual observer of Snooker mm. and watching that didn't really whet your appetite and want you to you know make you want to watch the championship uh, that followed then then nothing would. so it was a great way to set the tone and it made me think, you know why do they not do a preview program the night yeah. before they do it for things like the mm. masters golf? I'm not sure they still do it for the open golf. I think they even do it for the Grand National. Why not do a half hour preview programme the night before? Um well, you're gonna show it for seventeen days. Well exactly, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean I still think it's incredible they don't show the draw. Mm. You know, well there's been a world of pain there <laughs> over the years as we know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, it was a, it was a cracking way to start it off, and it just reminded. I mean, we've been coming here for twenty years; mm. we've seen half of the Crucible's yeah. history for ourselves, and uh, you know, it reminded us of some some great moments we've had here as well. And I'm sure it did for, for everybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would have gone. I was invited, but I, I was down at Eurosports yeah. getting ready for the for the morning's play. But yeah, it was a, it was a good way to launch it, and it, the whole tournament's had that forty years thing going on in the background, which it, which has made it has made it special. But of course, it's been about. What's happened on the table? Uh, first round seems a long time ago now, isn't mm. it? First day, certainly, Mark Selby. In fact, it was all over on the first day, about 8.20. It did, was, the yeah. D- they've got to look at that. They can't have two finishes at night again because it's just you're asking for yeah. trouble. Yeah,
0: well, indeed. Fergal, I think, just had nothing left yeah. to give against Mark Selby. You know, I, I was so pleased. I thought, you know, for someone who's so into the history of the game and would be very aware that only one player has ever been whitewashed there, I think it would have really hurt Fergal to lose 10-0. Mm. So I'm really pleased he got a couple of frames back. Um, and selby wasn't really tested very much mm. you know early on even against you know jao who probably mm. gave him the best match you know before the semi finals he never really felt he was in much mm. uh, in much danger now you, you don't know d- d- does that maybe conserve energy mm. or you know would you prefer to be much hardened i suppose in this case it, it you know it certainly worked for selby and uh, he, you know he had a lot left in the tank
1: in the later stages We'll come to Judd Trump in a minute and Rory McLeod, yeah. but, but in terms of shocks in the first round, there weren't many. I mean, Maguire beating McGill. You know, Maguire's a twice semi-finalist. That's not a huge shock. You think yeah. of him as a top-16 player. Graham Dot beating Ali Carter. That's not a no, huge, no, not huge shock there. That's no. a kind of even match, really, isn't mm. it? Um, so, I mean, a lot of people thought that the, some of the seeds would get turned over. Obviously, the qualifiers are coming in, then Matt Sharp. This year, it didn't happen. It did last year, Ding finalist, yeah. Almond semi finals For some reason this year, it kind of didn't, outside of Trump. Do
0: you know what I think makes a difference is the top 16 now is constantly updated. Mm. So it used to be that maybe four of the top 16 would be coming in, you know, having not really played well for yes. a year or so. So they would always be vulnerable. You don't really have that now. Um, so I think that was maybe part of it. I have to say, I, I looked at the first round draw and thought, I don't think many of these guys are going to get beaten, you know. Mm. Uh, although having said that, the, the match that was obviously the biggest shock of the whole championship would probably have been the last match that yeah. you would have expected
1: the, 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 the seed to lose. I don't know what Joe Trump was thinking actually coming into the World Championship. You know, if you read the press, yeah. he did interviews. He said that, basically, said that he wanted to be the favourite. He said I could play the game to a level no one else can. Talked himself up massively, and you know, our long experience in the game tells us that can only ever backfire, and it did spectacularly. I mean, it started well. He was up to McLeod. He seemed to take a few liberties in the match. And then when McLeod got back into it, went in front, Trump really didn't seem able to cope with it. And then, t- to top it all, when he got beaten, he didn't do the press conference, which was his chance to salvage something, be gracious, or even just admit you know, his preparation and what he'd said hadn't been a good idea. All round, it was not a good championship for Judge Trump.
0: I'd say he regretted that ten minutes later, once he'd left the venue. Who was the last big-name player to come here before a match <laughs> and engage in big talk? Mm. It was Ronnie O'Sullivan that mm. time. Uh, all the big talk before the match against Stephen Hendry. And it, it, I think it put more pressure on him, and he ended up losing his title as a result of it. But of course, I think the feeling was he'd been hanging around with uh, Nazim for a couple of mm. days. Maybe he'd gotten his ear. I think someone got in Judd's ear. Mm. Because we see Judd around the place, yeah. and we know mm. he's a very quiet, extremely polite chap. Yes, he is. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's not that kind of guy at all. And I think someone got in his ear and told him this is the way to think about it. But having said that, I think he'll learn from it. Um, and I still think he'll win the championship one day. It's by no means a certainty, just ask Jimmy White that. But uh, he'll have a lot of regrets about that match against uh, against Rory McLeod, and I'm sure even more now watching the final and thinking he might have had a chance to be in
1: it. Well, certainly, if he it see seen McLeod play Steve Maguire because yeah. he struggled in that match, and that could have been Judd, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, I think he probably will re- regret it. As a tactic, it, it didn't work. Mm. Um, but also, I think he needs to look at the, the match as well, and, and maybe some of the, the way he maybe slightly took... For granted, having sure. gone, fallen in front. Um, yeah, it's something to look, for him to look back on, but not doing the press conference, he might have regretted it, you know, but obviously he was disappointed, but everyone who he lost here was disappointed. I'm sure yeah. John Higgins tonight didn't want to sit through, you know, 20 minutes of media interviews, but mm. you, you've got to do it. And uh, yeah, it's a shame, I think, like he's like say, Trump, like the image that he sort of put forward of Trump is not himself. And the question I would ask is, why does he even need an image? Just be yourself, there's nothing wrong with Judd as he is now. I don't want to sound, you know, like someone in my forties, which <laughs> is what I am. Of a bit. But that that seems to be the culture mm. nowadays.
0: It's all about your image. You know, it's mm. not enough to do anything. It's all mm. about, yeah, you, you do it, but what's the image surrounding mm. it? And of course he was one of the first sort of, you know, celebrities, as it were, to to really embrace Twitter yes. when it came along back in the day. So that that's just the culture of, of, of that generation. But he doesn't need that at all. He's a fantastic snooker player. He's actually a really good lad as well. He is,
1: yeah. And yeah. um you know, I I would expect he'll have learned from that. He could look at what Ronnie did actually, because there's always a focus on Ronnie. And coming mm. into the championship, he every interview he did, he said the pressure's on Mark Selby. He's defending champion. He's player of the season. Pressure's on him. Just transferred it onto onto Selby, mm. which is a, a, a good tactic. Sorry. Of course, Ronnie, Ronnie wasn't exactly uh, shy of controversy in the championship uh, after his first round win over Gary Wilson, because um, he hadn't been sort of giving proper answers to the press for for a few months in tournaments, and he's got this issue with the. Barry Hearn, Will snooker, mm. but he says he's being intimidated, all that sort of stuff, and it all sort of poured out in what in one go, and the press, understandably, and I would be the same in their position, fell upon it. I just think you know, you, it's almost like you you can't have a world championship without a sort of Ronnie O'Sullivan controversy. Look, I, I
0: said in this podcast last yeah. year that I think O'Sullivan had developed a, a problem with the world championship after that defeat to Selby in the 2014 mm. final. He was starting to feel invincible maybe at the crucible and you know not without reason. He'd won it two years in a row. He'd won it one year without playing for the whole season. Then he has this big lead in a world final against a player who we know has got under his skin in the past. And he ends up losing it. And it was his first ever defeat in the world final. And I think he's not really had the same relationship with the World Championship since then. You look what's happened the last three years. The first time in each of those championships he's really been put under serious pressure by another top player. He's been beaten and has kind of, you know, collapsed a little bit mm. towards the end in all of those matches. And you look at it also in those three years. What has happened every year, his first round match, there's been some sort of controversy. Um, This year, as you say, everything you've outlined it all. Last year, he wouldn't speak at all after the match against Dave Gilbert. And the year before that, wasn't there some carry-on about his shoes or something? Yes. So it's like, even if it's subconsciously, he has this thing in his head, right? I'm going to go to Sheffield and distract from what's happening on the table by getting a controversy in early, but it's not worked for him, and um, I'm beginning to have doubts as to whether he'll win it again.
1: Mm. Well, we'll see. Uh, one thing, uh, my prediction is we will hear nothing more about this this uh, dispute he's got. Yeah, I mean, it's in everyone's interest to forget about yeah, it. Isn't yeah, it? And, yeah, and you know Barry Barry Hearn will not take kindly to sort of threats of lawyers, and also you know the, the words bullying and intimidation. Well, actually, what happened was. Ronnie was not actually, no charges were brought for what yeah. happened. They yeah. actually dropped them. So yeah. it was actually the opposite. Now, he might not like the player's contract. That's an issue that a lot of players are going to have to sort of look at themselves. But, you know, the fact is he wasn't disciplined. So he could understand it in a way if he had been disciplined, him being annoyed, mm. but he wasn't. And that's a fact. Anyway, we'll move on to the great comeback in the first round with Marco Fu, of course. Yeah. With and what was interesting about that, and this actually shows the, the genius of the tournament. OK, so he's 7-1 down, can't put a ball. Last frame of that session, he makes a century. Mm. And it almost is, and then there's a whole day off until the yeah, next session. It's almost saying to Luca bracell. I can actually play the game, by the yeah, way, yeah, and yeah. I've started now. And of course, what happened was he continued. Yeah. He had the whole day... Because th- I think mm. it was... A night session, yeah. and another night yeah, session, yeah. wasn't it? So, yeah, no, I think you've hit the nail
0: on the head there. I think Luca Brassell had all day to think about it. Would have been a huge landmark for him because he's not really kicked on, no. you know. I know he got to the German final, but you think about it, you know, he was the youngest player ever to play here five years ago. This was his first time back since, mm. wasn't it? You know, mm. just, which is a little bit surprising. So I think that was the, the key thing. And, you know, Marco is not the sort of player you want coming back at you because mm. he just looks so serene. Yeah, It's almost like I don't really, you know, you've not got to me the fact that you've mm. got 7-1 up in this match. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was one of the great crucible comebacks. I mean, that's up there, you know, comparable to the Nigel Bond one all those years ago. Mm. And um, But Marco, you, you know, by the time he got to the quarterfinals, like, he didn't even really play well against Robertson. Mm. It was a good match to watch, but neither of them played well. He needed to raise his game in the quarterfinal against Selby and never remotely looked like doing it. And uh, I think we all, f- you know, thought he might have a pretty good chance this year because it's been his best season, certainly. Yeah. It's definitely since December, the way he's played. But uh, ran out of steam. But he'll always have that great comeback to uh, to remember from this championship.
1: It'll be in the crucible almanac, you know, well, as, as everything every, as yeah. everything else is. Yeah, this <laughs> podcast probably will be. Yeah. Um, another player who played terrific stuff was Ding, of course. Um, yeah, played lovely stuff. Had that epic win over Liang Wenbo, and then beat Ronnie O'Sullivan. And and, and that you know you could see what that meant to him. I mean, firstly, we, we talked about Ronnie and the controversy. We would have to say how how lovely that was at the end, the way he, he was genuinely yeah. happy for Ding. Yeah, genuine respect. That's what we like to see. And a great win for Ding and... The problem is, though, you know, you climb one mountain, then you've got to climb another mm. one because then you've got Mark Selby over four sessions.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I, you know, against almost anyone else, I really think Ding would have won, uh, you, you know, because he would have been going in so full of belief. Mm. I, I wouldn't mind betting that Ding regards that win
1: over Ronnie now as the best
0: result of his career. Yeah, well, he's he said won.
1: that He said that immediately afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that could have been the euphoria. But yeah, when you think about it, because it was 10 2 on the head to head to Ronnie. Yeah, he's exactly. been for 10 years, Ding. Yeah. You know. And you know,
0: and he's open about how Ronnie is pretty much his hero. Mm. But, you know, he's won UKs, he's won Masters, he's won. China Open mm-hmm. as well, but you know, as an individual result, I would say that, that that's probably the one that you know he'll cherish the most. Yeah. Um, but I just thought he'd be on such a high then against Selby, and I suppose he probably was. because It's not like he went in and struggled mm-hmm. in uh, in that match. But you know, it's funny because this time last year, you know, Dean was on a high; he'd got to the final. And you always look at the guy who's finished second and you think, OK, next year maybe he'll come back and go one better. Mm. Do you know how many times that's actually happened at the Crucible, that the runner-up has come back and won the next year? Twice. Wow. It was uh, Steve and Mark Williams. Mm. So, you know, it's... Um, but he, listen, he had a very good run at it. And, you know, he's knocking on the door now, isn't he? Yeah. King? You know, for a long time he struggled here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's had two good world championships, two very good world championships, and the only player who's beaten him at the Crucible in the last two years is the best player in the world, so uh, he's he's another one who I I think he, even more so than George. I I really feel Ding, you know,
1: probably isn't that far away from a world title now. Their handshake wasn't quite as warm <laughs> yeah, as had yeah, been Ronnie. You know, I mean, well, I think there's two things there. One, Ding's disappointed to lose. He's gone toe to toe for four sessions and he's lost. And also Mark Selby was kind of celebrating a lot. I mean, he was three yeah. times he gave it the fist or whatever. Right. And I would defend both of them. I would defend Mark for celebrating. A great win. Why not? Mm. And I would defend Ding for being disappointed because why not be? Yeah. And I didn't think it was wildly exuberant what Selby no. did. but It's a release of tension. Yeah. In, in a way, it's a
0: tribute to Ding. Mm. You know that, you know, Ding had given him such a fight that this this was the way he felt mm. about it. But again, a bit like George skipping the press conference, I'm sure Ding 10 minutes later, yeah. you know, probably felt, oh yeah, I mean, it was fine, you know. He's, yeah. he's just disappointed about about the defeat, but but really there wasn't any lingering yeah. issue with with the way Mark had celebrated at the end. But what a what a fantastic match that was as a, as an all round spectacle of snooker. Yeah. And I know it's such a cliche, but you know it really did show you know how Ding. I mean, he's always been a good all round player, but I think more so than ever now his game is you know very multifaceted, and yeah. that's what you're going to need here.
1: Yeah, John Higgins, 42 uh, in a few weeks' time mm-hmm. as we record this. I mean. That's kinda of considered old these days, but he's still John Higgins and at the end of the day, you know, the lot of forty somethings are doing well. He's one of the all time greats and he got on a run and when he gets on a run, he can be unstoppable. I thought what was what was important for him was that apart from against Hawkins where it didn't actually ultimately count him and mm. a, and ultimately in the final where it did, his concentration was really strong. Against Mark Allen, who played fantastically well in yeah. the second round. You know, Higgins, you can see it in him, the focus. You can just you see really it in You really can, face.
0: absolutely, yeah, when you see him. Particularly when you're in the arena, yeah. actually, you really, you really see it on him. But uh, it's funny, like, because, you know, a lot of years you sort of feel, yeah, John Higgins, he's someone who could win it. But mm. I suppose it's been so long since he's had a good run in the championship mm. that it almost seemed a little bit surreal and a little bit like going back in time mm. when you did see him in the later stages of the championship. But he's someone you always feel is more dangerous as it goes on because his record not just in the world, but, you know, in all the really big events over the years, tends to be... He gets knocked out very early on, or he ends up winning as yes. we get into the final. Um, I don't know. I mean, just in the press conference there, he he said something about how you know now it's up to you know the younger guys like mm. Ding and Trump and maybe Robertson to try and challenge Selby. And I said to John, I said, does that mean that maybe you think maybe you know your mm. last big chance is gone? And and maybe it has. You know, at at the age he's at now. But having said that, I mean, it's not as if this run was out of the blue in mm. the context of his season. Um, he had that fantastic run around November, won the two big invitation events at the 147 in Belfast. Yeah. More recently, he won the Championship League, which, okay, isn't the biggest event on the circuit. But you play so much snooker there, you've got to play, play really well to win it. So it wasn't by any means out of the blue. And of course, he's back up to number two in the world now. Yeah. So
1: it'll be interesting to see if he can build on it. But despite all that, it's Mark Selby's world. Yeah. And we just live in it. Indeed. Um, so we should talk finally about him. Um, I mean, there was one, the, the match against Fu, you know, he had in one session three total clearances. You know, which including a one-four-three, which was just a believable break, yeah. and and it shows. You know, he gets this reputation sometimes of being a bit of a grinder, which he can be. And by the way, that's a strength. Of course, that's it a is. strength. It's not a bad thing to be. You see, be that. If, if you don't have that, people yeah. say you're one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You but because but you know, it's it's no great accident. He's runaway world number one. He's got everything. He he's, he can he can play the tactical stuff. He can make the big breaks. Temperament, as we've seen tonight, is second to none you know, great shot maker, he sees everything. I mean, what more do you need? He's in the all-time
0: top five now, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you and I had a conversation one night during the season that we know who the four greatest yeah. players of all time yeah. are. You know, Higgins, O'Sullivan, Hendry, Dave... the, ma- whatever the Matt Rushmore. Wants. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, they might have to get the chisel yeah. out again yeah, yeah, now yeah. Yeah. because we were saying, so who's the fifth best player mm. of all time? Um, and I think it has to be Mark Selby now. Mm. I mean, how can you put anyone ahead of him? And it's interesting now, you know, you, you look at the steps... Of all the, uh, you know, the, the great crucible champions, you have one player on seven, mm. Hendry. One player on six, mm. Davis. O'Sullivan on his own on five. Higgins on his own on four. Selby the only one on three. Williams the only one on two. Mm. Um, You've got to feel you know, there will be more there. And, and it's interesting. You, know, you look at all those other great champions. They did most of it in their 20s. And they had all won the World Championship, certainly uh, 25 or younger. Uh, what age is Mark now? 33? 33, yeah. yeah. So he he didn't win a world title till mm. he was in his 30s. You wouldn't imagine then that you're going to end up with three of them. Mm. But now you look at it and you think, you know, as you say, I mean, we've just seen a guy of almost 42 in the final. Mm. So, I mean, Mark could have another decade to come back here and add to that. And people have been saying the last couple of days, maybe he's going to be the one to challenge Henry Seven. Now, it's very, very early to be talking about that. But, you know, he's figured out how to win this championship. And, you know, the fact that he's doing it so consistently now,
1: again, it's going to be very interesting to see. How we can build on that. He's suited to the the format, the session format. Um, You know, he he might have one bad session, but he'll recover, as we we saw in in this final. And you just watch him. He loves playing. He loves playing. That's the thing about the referee and controversy. To Mark Selby, he just looks forward to the next frame. Yeah. And and it might be that he's lost a match, so it's the next tournament. Or it might be the next round. It might be the next frame in that match. Something terrible happened in the previous one. He wants to play the next frame and he seems capable, genuinely capable of clearing his mind of what's happened and just focusing on playing the next frame. And of course that comes from, and we've talked about it before, but it comes from someone who had it tough when he was a kid. Yeah, completely. His family could not afford for him to play snooker. Malcolm Thorne, famously, gave him free practice, and he worked and worked, he spent every hour he could, working and making himself into an all-time great, which is what he's done. Yeah, and I don't want to criticise Ronnie O'Sullivan, and I know we bring everything back to him, mm.
0: but he had the opposite background. Mm. And, you know, we have seen him throw in the towel a few times over the years, so maybe that's the difference. There's one other thing, actually, I think needs to be said about this final. You look back over the years, there have actually been very, very, very few finals. You could probably count them even on one hand at the Crucible, where there have been between two of the all-time greats. Mm. It's very, very rare that actually happens. Like, Henry never played Davis no. in a world final, for yeah. example. He never played O'Sullivan in a world final. Maybe only three, four, five Crucible finals, you could genuinely say, were between two of the all-time greats and uh, you really felt that sense of history in the arena tonight the mm. tension mm. was ab- absolutely incredible um, and you, know, you really felt you were watching two of the greatest players of all time and you know, this
1: is a match that will be remembered for a very long time and What about the Championship as a whole? I think mm. just chatting down at the Crucible I think the sort of prevailing view was that it's been good because it's always good, yeah. But not necessarily one of the sort of finest vintages. No, no,
0: it, it, no. I don't think anyone would regard this as as one of the greatest championships. And and you know it's funny that the standard is so high nowadays, and you see so much good snooker being played, but not many of the championships in recent years, mm. say the last five, six, seven years, could really go down among the all-time greatest championships. Certainly, this one won't. Um, early on the, the, the Fu come back Trump getting knocked out Ding against Liang in the second round that was a fantastic match Fu against Robertson as I say the standard wasn't great mm. but it was, it was still a pretty good match but the world championship always delivers doesn't it mm. you know and I mean you say you, you know you might have like golf majors that sort of pass you by a bit because they don't really take off maybe some tennis grand slams as well but the the, the thing that I think makes the world championship so brilliant is that unlike you know tennis majors they're all the same format golf majors they're all the same format the Snooker World Championship is just so different to everything yeah. else, even more so now now that the UK Championship <coughs> has been shortened mm. to, to best of 11s. And that's, th- that's what really makes it stand out And uh, you know, in a way that other sports don't have that one really big standout yeah. event. And, and Snooker does, and um, you know, I think it's a great thing for the sport.
1: Yeah, and also people invariably remember the Championship for its final, and in mm. the end the final was gripping. Yeah. Um, it was kind of an odd match, wasn't it? Because John Higgins at 10-4 looked the only winner... But Mark Selby, he he did what he did against O'Sullivan three years ago. He he won those key frames to close the night, to give himself some hope, almost feeling like he's in front. Higgins' game seemed to collapse this afternoon. Was not on it for whatever reason. Selby did what he does. He took advantage. And then tonight, of course, he races in front 16-12. Everyone thinks early night. Higgins comes back at him. And it becomes a better win for the fact he's been put under pressure. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I think John seemed a bit rueful. He knew that he had a chance last
0: night to really yeah. take a stranglehold on this should have been at least 11-6 maybe even 12-5 wouldn't have been that surprising and you could tell you you know he he regretted some of the things that happened along the way mm. i think we should we we should talk there's one thing we should mention as well because in this you know end of world championship podcast last year we talked about where snooker was at mm. and we were looking ahead to this season when there were going to be more really big mm. tournaments than ever the home series all the rest of it i mean we didn't even know then there was going to be A tournament in China with a £200,000 first prize. So it's amazing where the game's been at. And of course, you've been involved so much with all the Mm. new home series events and everything. And just this has been the first. Season ever, really, where it's just felt you know that
1: snooker is constantly going on in, in mm-hmm. a way that it does in other sports. So, what was interesting about the home series, I really enjoyed covering it, was mm. that all four finals were fantastic, yeah, for, for different reasons. Yeah. Obviously, Liang Wenbo beating Trump was a great story and a real, real excitement. You had the whole Mark King Barry Hawkins nice. thing, I mean, the King story was incredible I think mean, Scotland. Marco Fu played one of the if, if you wanted to look at one performance in a tournament all season, that, that's right up there as oh, of the best yeah. I think he had eleven centuries and mm. you know, Higgins started with three centuries in the final and Foos won nine four. Uh, and then the Welsh had a very uh, it was a different sort of final between Bingham and Trump but fascinating as well I think it was great to have the, the legends l- lending their names to the, to the trophies yeah. and um, yeah really enjoyable and, and of course extra snooker which is great I was going to actually finally talk about the season I mean it's, yeah. been, it's, been, it's been so many things happening but we sort of move on very quickly to the next tournament and the next tournament and you sort of forget them a lot of standout moments Anthony Hamilton winning in Germany I mean who'd have thought Mark King and Anthony Hamilton yeah. would win tournaments you just can't believe that actually happened for Hamilton because you know he been, when
0: he was in his, his prime, he couldn't close the deal. Mm. You know, in so many big matches, uh, including at least one of the two ranking finals he was in, he should have won. And then just, you know, I, I suppose he'd done well earlier in the season, but then, um, of course, he was in a semi final, feathered the cue ball yeah. at a key stage, which you know, probably cost him the match, really. You thought that's the sort of thing that might finish him mm. off. Only three months later, You know, he's a ranking tournament winner. It'll almost certainly be the only one he ever wins, but Mm. that makes it all the more special for that. But, you know, the fact we have all these tournaments now, you know, it becomes a virtuous circle because you now have so many winners. Yeah. You know, the Masters this year, every player in it was a ranking tournament winner, I think. And that has certainly never happened before. Mm. So that creates, you know, more players who've got that under their belt. So it creates more competition at the highest level, which just drives up the standards even further. Mm. And that's the thing as well. The fact that there are all these tournaments now... You don't come away with the sense that winning a ranking title is in any way devalued, no. because as the standard is so high now, and I think it has been higher than ever this season, you really, really have to earn it. Mm. Uh, you know, there's no sort of easy path to a ranking title. Um, so it's it's a great place that, that the game is in now, and of course with all the long term contracts. You know, we know this is the way it's going to be for at least mm. the next decade. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, in terms of the players, everyone's got their own story. Everyone's got yeah. I mean, Mark King, uh, Anthony Hamilton, obvious sort of backstories, but everyone's got them. Barry Hawkins, all the winners this season. You know, it means so much to them, and they've delivered fantastic drama. It's been, I think, a terrific season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a few weeks uh, until it all starts again. We've got the obviously Q School, and then we rig a Masters Qualifying all, all sorts going on. Uh, this podcast will return at some point later in the year. Uh, but uh, all it remains for me to do now is thank you all for listening and for all your feedback on the podcast. And uh, I think it's time we went to get drunk at the reception, like it's nineteen ninety nine. Well, if it was, we'd be uh, toasting Stephen Hendry. Yeah. But uh, we're toasting another all-time great, Mark Selby. Who's to, who's, who's to say how many he can win? Thank you for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?